This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, so adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is A Tiny Revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter. I'm Kevin Garcia. Good morning, good morning, or good day, or whenever you're listening to this, good life to you. Whether it's a Monday or a Tuesday, or you're stumbling onto this on a Sunday, I hope that you feel good and are doing good. Uh, wasn't here last week, obviously, so I'm sorry if you missed me. I uh, took that Monday off just because life is a little hard sometimes and self-care is important. Um, and I, I, I take that quite seriously for myself. But I'm back this week and I'm so excited uh, because this week I'm talking with author Sarah Bessie, who is the author of Jesus Feminist as well as Out of Sorts. And if you don't know who she is, she's incredible and you're going to love our conversation. Um, just before we get started, I want to let you know... Uh, where I'm going to be in the United States of America. Uh, I'm not going to be in Richmond anymore for a various amount of reasons, so sorry about that. But October 1, I'm still going to be in Nashville. Um, so if you're around Nashville and you want to kick it, let me know. I'd love to see you. Um, and then the following week, I think it's the tw- yeah, it's the 12th. The 12th, I'm going to be in Santa Barbara, California for the panel that I'm speaking on with Spectrum Ministries. I'm super excited. You can look that up on the blog which is thekevingarcia.com slash speaking. And then the following week, which is the 20th through the 23rd, is the Reformation Project Conference in Long Beach, California. Hashtag TRP in LA. I'm so excited about this because it's uh, all my favorite people are coming together. Um, I get to lead worship at this event, and I haven't been able to do that for a long time. So I'm so excited to share that space with you. Uh, you can get all your information on that at reformationproject.org slash LA. And as a personal plug for me, the day before, there is a conference, like a little pre-conference workshop called the Academy for Racial Justice. And if you are someone who is still in the process of learning about what it is to be a racial justice ally, or maybe you've never had a discussion about being a racial justice ally, um, or you're somebody who's been in this kind of work for forever, you've been on the front lines, this is a really great place to come and both help educate people who are wanting to be better allies to people of color. Um, It's a great way to honestly be celebrated for the work that you've already done and really get a beautiful sense of community from uh, fellow Christians who know that the work of justice is inclusive and not a singular issue but multifaceted and very complex, intersectional, and interlocked. So it's only $20 extra if you are coming to the full conference, $50 if you're just coming to the Academy. But either way, for me to you, you definitely need to be there. There's such incredible teaching in that space. So I really hope to see you out there. Yeah, I think that's everything. Um, 
for me right now. So let me just give you a little introduction to my friend Sarah Bessie. Sarah Bessie is an author, a writer, a preacher, and a recovering know-it-all. She describes herself as one of those happy, clappy Jesus followers with stars in her eyes, a kingdom of God-focused woman, postmodern. She's a liberal to conservative people and a conservative to liberal people on matters of both religion and politics, which has got to be a very interesting place to stand, being right in the middle. Yeah, she comes from a non-denominational charismatic background, just like myself. And if you are curious, she's an INFJ and a nine on the Enneagram. More than anything, she writes about the intersections of the spirit-filled life on her own faith and spirituality, what it looks like for others, um, ordinary life, eschatology, mothering, theology, women's issues, social justice, her own struggling faith, and pretty much anything else that is impolite to talk about in public. And that's the kind of thing I'm here for, obviously. A few years ago, she wrote a book called Out of Sorts, where she talks about coming to terms with her own evolving faith, as well as helping others come to terms with their evolving faith, which, again, all of us can relate to, probably. She also wrote Jesus Feminist, which doesn't have a lot of womanist or feminist theology, but it's a good look at what it is to be just a regular person on the other side of the gender debate in the church. Uh, I had a blast with this conversation, and I walked in kind of nervous about talking to her, but really, I walked away with this sense of, oh, she's shockingly ordinary, and she just does extraordinary things, which isn't that true for all of us? Shouldn't, aren't we all just a little bit ordinary, but we get to do extraordinary things? That's what I think. Anyways, take that nugget of little wisdom for yourself and enjoy this conversation I had with Sarah Bessie. So where are you? Where do you live? I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's hot there. Girl, you have no idea. (laughs) It is, uh, it's a sweltering, um, like 85 degrees plus like a hundred percent humidity usually. So it's like you're walking outside and it's like, oh, cool. I burned all my calories for today because I'm obviously sweating (laughs) through my clothes. You have two books. You have Jesus Feminist and you have Out of Sorts. And Jesus Feminist came first, right? Yes. Did you grow up in like a, a more conservative background or did um, was being a feminist always just kind of like part of your personality makeup? <laughs> um, you know, I think that I, well, I grew up in, in, in a, more of an egalitarian home and egalitarian churches. So I didn't even realize that there were any debates really about women um, you know, in terms of marriage or church ministry and leadership and that sort of thing until probably I was gone into blogging, to be perfectly honest, because that was the first time I really had a chance to meet, you know, Americans, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and also, you know, Baptists or you fundamentalists know, or people wow. who grew, raised very differently than I was That's or went so to church. Interesting. Um, I wouldn't even necessarily consider myself part of the, you know, traditional evangelical, you know, movement um, hmm. at all. Um, I was, my home was always more in kind of like that third wave charismatic, mm. you know, sort of thing, um, which kind of exists almost like a pocket universe within evangelicalism. But yeah. anyway, I mean, I just kind of started off there. And so it wasn't until blogging that I began to realize there were really those conversations happening. And so a lot of when I was writing into it, it was from the perspective of saying, of almost demystifying it. Um, you know, it started off uh, writing a lot about it on my blog. But 
Um, to be honest, I always had sort of identified as a feminist. It wasn't a huge fraught term for me. Mm. Um, it was never something that was a, a big, you know, turning point in my life or anything like that. I think I was probably in my late teens and early twenties. I was already very passionate about women's issues, um, globally, um, more from a justice perspective than from a, a you know, within a, a church perspective. And so, you know, I just kind of started saying I was a feminist. It wasn't really a big, you know, awakening or anything. But every time I would say that in a church, um, you know, particularly when I moved to the States, I lived in the States for eight or nine years um, in Oklahoma and in Texas. Oh, God, girl. (laughs) So I learned that people do carry guns. Apparently that's a thing. <laughs> Very much so. Good luck. And never in my life had seen a, a no guns allowed sticker. I was like, people actually do that. Oh my God. But um, I would say that I was a feminist and, you know, people would, you know, clutch their pearls and, you know, say, well, mm. you know, what kind of feminist are you? I think because they had a hard what time figuring out, you know, I think that people have heard a lot of misinformation and stereotypes about feminism. Mm. And so they have this sort of image or idea tricked out in their minds. Mm. And when I didn't square with that, for instance, like, you know, wore a bra, um, (laughs) (laughs) there wasn't that. It's the little things, little things, things really just, you know, bring some, some joy in life to people. And, uh, it w- I would just kind of laugh and say, oh, I'm a Jesus feminist, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was just sort of a cheeky way of being like, well, I'm a feminist because I follow Jesus. Those two yes. things aren't in opposition that it's because I follow Jesus that I'm a feminist, that I'm a feminist because I love Jesus. And that deeply sh- forms and shapes my feminism. And so then it kind of actually grew into its own, you know, thing that I felt really comfortable saying and began to kind of teach from that perspective and, uh, you know, led to the, the book being written and, uh, and published. So it's been out for about three years now. Mm-hmm. It came out in 20, 2013. That's crazy. <laughs> do you ever get that? Do you ever get that feeling like, um, you either see something you wrote a couple of years ago, like on a blog or something and you're like, I don't think that way anymore. I should probably unpublish that. <laughs> I 100% do that. I think that's, you know, that's both the wonderful thing about blogging and the terrible thing about it is you have just this front row seat for your own spiritual awakening and processing. And I mean, there's times when I go back and just think, oh, my God. Like someone should have stopped me. (laughs) But you know what? It's all part of the process. And I mean, I can see where I got where I am now. I can see where I've landed um, in where I am now. I mean, I look back now on Jesus Feminist and for where the conversation was at the time, I think it was really, you know, progressive and good and necessary. Are there things I would write and do and say differently now? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely there are. I think that's like most people who are right. I started blogging like, I guess it was, I started the world race. It was July, 2013 is when I first started blogging. And then like six months later, like got onto my own platform. And then like miniature version of my story, just like I was working for a missions organization before Mm -hmm. I came out. And so it was just like, it went from being very, almost like every, any sort of just like white inspirational, (laughs) like dude blog. That's like and its own genre. That's what white <laughs> inspirational dude it blogs. Comes, it There's... comes with a meme. Jo- it comes with a meme generator. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I came out and started writing about sexuality, faith, and American culture. Um, but like I, I, I do the same thing. Like I'll go back and look at some of my old blogs. Like and I can remember. I'm just like, oh, I was so depressed when I wrote that, or like I was so like repressed when I wrote that. 
I so. know. It's funny, isn't it, when you go back and look at it and you just think, I can just almost feel how it felt at the time when I was writing that. And, mm. it, and it mattered to me. I obviously needed to write that. I needed mm. to, I think sometimes you have to push through all that stuff to get to the other side and, and find, you know, your real voice. Mm. Um, you know, the stuff I, I remember looking back on, because I've been blogging since 03. Good for you. So. That's a good, that's a minute. <laughs> I am I am the old old one in the room <laughs> for sure when it comes to that conversation. But I remember trying out other bloggers' voices even and being like, Oh, you oh, know yeah. what, maybe if I maybe if I could write like this person, then then mm-hmm. you know, things will just magically I'll I'll obviously have my life together like they do. <laughs> that's <laughs> and that's another thing too. Do you do you ever run in like when you are doing like, I don't know, if you do speaking tours or whatever, whatever, like when you meet people who have read uh your stuff, they almost come to you with a sense of just like fix me. I, I know that you have the answers and you're like, Oh baby. I know it's, you know, it's, it's something that actually I really consciously try to kick against in my writing. And even in my speaking is this idea of being the big hero, mm. um, of being the person on the pedestal. I, 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 it's way better for me if people are very disillusioned. Yeah. <laughs> like people who are just like not impressed. Yeah. That's, that's way better. That's, that's way better. You know, that's something a lot of people will ask me because when you are, you know, a woman on the internet with an opinion, you tend to get a little bit of criticism and people will often ask me and say, well, how do you feel? Just a little bit? Wow. Just a wee bit. Yeah. (laughs) Hardly, hardly even worth noting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And people will ask, you know, how do you handle that criticism? And honestly, I, you know, there's a way to handle it. I mean, everybody kind of finds their way to, to navigate that space. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's almost just as destructive to my soul when there are those people who think that you just don't do anything wrong, that everything you say should be unquestioned, because then you start to think that you are someone special. You start to think that you are, you know, you believe your own hype. And I think that that sort of thing is not healthy for my soul. It's not healthy for their soul. I don't want to be someone's priest standing between them and God. Sometimes people want to process it for sure. I mean, you know, it would, I'm sure it would be nice if everyone had someone who could come alongside and hold their hand Mm -hmm. as they asked every single question that they ever had and wrestled with every single issue they ever had. But you know what? None of us did. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have had our our awakenings through a lot of different intersections of experiences and, um, and I believe activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, and, and so, you know, do we have a role to play sometimes in that, in the work that we do? Absolutely. You know, anything that you write, Kevin, anything that, you know, your podcast or, you know, anything that I would do, you know, those things, you know, shape and inform some of those things, but, you know, can, do I have always time to take three hours away from my children to answer, you know, the, uh, point by point scriptural references that you really want Hmm. (laughs) instead here, here's, here's some lovely books. Go ahead and read them mm-hmm. <laughs> and take a look at them. Um, you know, a, a lot of times people would love for you to do the work for them. Oh, but I yeah. find that oftentimes the transformation happens when you dare to do the work yourself. Mm. Otherwise, all you are having is a debate. All you're having is a conversation. You're not actually having a transforming journey. You're not actually coming alongside. Whereas when you take ownership for it and you begin to sort of walk in partner, partnership, even in co-creation with the Holy Spirit, mm. um, you're participating in your own reawakening and your own renewal and you can't siphon that off and you can't outsource that work mm. hmm. Sorry. <laughs> i got uh. a wave i feel really proud girl if i had a hanky it'd be all over here so i i, I did a group southern evangelical and then found my rediscovered faith in the pentecostal tradition 
And so, like, like han- <laughs> hanky Flex. waves and shouting, Flex. like, that's where I come yeah. from. Oh, okay. I am absolutely a hanky waver. I'm a, yeah, I'm all, all about the flag wave. My daughters are on the flag team at church even now. Oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. Totally true. <laughs> so, like, uh, you have how many children's? I have four. Oh, my gosh. I have four children. All girls or just girls and... Girls and... Uh, three girls and one boy. And so we had... Um, we had our first three and four years. Um, it had a girl and then a boy and then another little girl. And then when they were all kind of heading into elementary school and were all growing up, then we had one last little little baby girl just about a year and a half ago. Yeah. So she joined us. And so it's been super fun. I mean, all the big kids just think that she's, you know, the center of the universe and she's happy to oblige. So. <laughs> Aww. That's lovely. It is lovely. We have a lot of fun. Do you like, do you like being a mom? I do. I love it. You know, honestly, I feel like that was probably one of the biggest turning points in my relationship with God and in healing my, my view of God hmm. uh, happened when I became a mom. Um, I felt like it put a lot of angst aside because if, if however imperfectly I do it, um, I love my children with that sort of intensity and that sort of unconditionalness and that sort of, of care and tenderness and feroci- ferociousness even. Um, how much more does God love us? I feel like it just completely uh, changed how I viewed God. It changed my experience of God, um, giving birth, breastfeeding. I mean, all those things that oftentimes, you know, will send a lot of, you know, male pastors running for the hills, mm-hmm. you know, became really deeply transformative places where I met with God. Wow. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it still, still is a, a, a huge thing for me. It's hard. Um, of course, it's yeah. very, un, it's very unglamorous. <laughs> it exposes the parts of me that I like to keep hidden from polite society, but it's been good. My husband uh, once telling me that he felt like your 20s is just like your pregame. Oh yeah, he's a football person, and so I don't really entirely understand the references. But you know, <laughs> even now, like I'm in my late 30s now, and I still feel like I'm just kind of just now beginning to feel really comfortable in in my own skin and knowing where I want to go in my life, and and, mm-hmm. and even holding um, all those complexities, you know, of, of who you are yeah. as a person um, as it moves forward. That's I don't know. I don't know if we're all just maybe waiting for our life to begin, perhaps, but it's already happening. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Richard Rohr talks about it as, like, being the first and second half of life. Yes. Where, like, you, either you go through something um, or something happens to you or you meet somebody and then you suddenly realize, oh, this is what it's truly about. Um, Absolutely. When, um, I don't know, like, when did you, when did that come about for you that, like, you realized, like, I'm a writer and this is what, like, I should be, like, this is what I'm here for. Like, when, Mm -hmm. when did that happen? You know, I was one of those people who always wanted to be a writer. Um, I mean, some kids are really good at a lot of things and others of us have like one thing. So you got one shot, like that's it. <laughs> it's Better. either you're going to be a writer or you're like going to be doing, you know, something else for the, you know, that, that doesn't require a lot of skills. And so, I mean, but I went into, I mean, I come from a very practical um, Western Canadian family and background. So, I mean, even things like higher education, I was the first person on both sides of my family, um, uh, first person on one side of the family and first woman on the other side of the family who actually went to university and graduated. Um, is, and that, it was, is, is it typical in West Canada? I almost said West Canada, just full, full oh, confession. There you go. All right, in West there you Canada, go. Just is good it? Night, good night, everybody. That's yeah. just rich. <laughs> this is where I offended the author and she 
promptly close the <laughs> Skype call. Um, oh, no. If you offend a Canadian, they'll apologize first. It's totally uh, <laughs> um, in West Canada, is it typical for people to not seek out higher education or is that? Oh, not at all. I mean, it's more just, uh, I mean, we have a very educated populace and a lot of people go to university and, and particularly in the area where I am now and uh, just outside of Vancouver, it's a very well-educated um, spot. It was more just a family, you know, our, mm-hmm. our family was more, you know, uh, middle class, working class, you know, you get, and so when I went to university it was to get a job. Mm-hmm. And so I went into marketing and I worked in, um, in marketing, in a you know, for up until, you know, I want to say three years ago. I wow. Quit. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, so that was like, after Jesus Feminist got published. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was when I, I actually quit my job. I mean, I worked in financial services and nonprofit marketing, um, strategic planning, um, brand development, all that stuff for a lot of years. And I was always just writing on my lunch breaks and writing whenever, honestly, I feel like my big second and first half of life had less to do with vocation, um, and more to do with theology, Hmm. More to do with um, an awakening or a spiritual awakening, and and like most things, I think those things tend to happen when you're, uh, whenever you feel out of control, hmm. and you know whenever the script isn't adding up, you know that here's here's the script you were supposed to have, and it doesn't go the way that you thought it would, or you know whatever else like you were saying, right, about not even doing you know music education or whatever else. I mean, for my husband, a lot of those awakenings happen because of vocation. Um, but for me, honestly, um, it was really tied to, uh, to grief. Hmm. Um, you know, we've had a lot of trouble having children. Um, I lo- I've been pregnant eight times, but I only have four children. Ah. Uh, so we've had four miscarriages. Two of them were, were late, later in pregnancy, which was difficult. And I remember just having this sense of like collapsing in, and my church and faith tradition, because I felt like there was no room for my grief. Hmm. I couldn't show up and keep singing all these like happy, clappy Jesus is the answer, pray this way, seven steps to whatever. And it became all of a sudden this big thicket of like, well, what do I even think about church and scripture? And what is the Bible even for? And, you know, you know, what, where are we even, what are we even doing here? What does any of this even mean? What's the point of your life? What's the point of any of this stuff, sexuality, whatever. And so all those things just kind of like thicketed up and it was just became this, you know, adventure of, you know, leaning into that pain to walk through it to the other side. Right. And do you think, like, overall, like, I relate to that on such a huge level of just, mm-hmm. like, the way my life was supposed to go did not mm-hmm. happen at all. And it wasn't until, like, and I think also what's interesting is that, and you can tell me if, like, this is, like, spot on for you or not, or if it, like, you relate, but what I experienced in finally coming out or finally just saying mm-hmm. yes to what was actually happening yes. It wasn't naming it. it. Yeah. (laughs) Naming what was going on inside. It was two things. It was like both like incredibly liberating just to say that, yes, this actually exists. But then also Mm. it wasn't the answer to my problem. It Mm. was like entering into a desert space for a while. of just like, I've got to like, it's almost now. Now the work begins. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've got to sit down. I've got to figure out what I'm, what I, what do I think about how I'm feeling? What do I think Mm -hmm. about how I'm thinking? And Shutting out, like, I like for me, I had to shut out a lot of voices and just listen to myself and listen to the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Because if I didn't have that that time to just discover who I was created to be, I think, like, I would be a lot worse off. And I think that's where a okay. lot of people fall, too, is, like, they have this thing of where they think that this is what's supposed to be. and even And they'll even, like, they'll see something that doesn't add up. And they won't acknowledge it because they're afraid that if they acknowledge it, you know, they're actually going to have to face something. Totally. 
Totally. That's what happens. I mean, um, I, uh, in my second book out of sorts, I write a lot about, um, that very process and that very awakening and that, that thing of, of kind of coming through. I, I mean, I'm nothing if not over dramatic. And so I always call it my wilderness, hmm. yeah. right. Of just this sense of like, you embark into this space where you, but you can't cross that line until, like you said, until you've named it, until you've admitted it, until you've, you know, seen that there is something that you actually have to head into. Um, you know, I think that that's, I mean, Madeline Langell often talks about how, how naming oh, something is She's my is favorite. Sorry. I know, me too. <laughs> I love her. Her words are like so powerful, even like years oh. after they've been written. They have layers. I go, I, my eldest daughter now is, um, is nearly 10. And so she's rediscovering a lot of the children's lit that, that I loved. Um, and even rereading like a wrinkle in time in that series, so many layers that I just were like right over my head as a kid, but they kind of, you know, connect in your heart, like good literature does all the time. But she writes in this, I want to say it's like in the second or third book in the series about how, um, she has to like name this, this evil teacher, like she has to like actually call out his name and they, they say that naming something means that you are, that you're going to love it. Mm. And I think that sometimes when we name the thing that we are scared to name, that we're looking at at the corner of our eye, I'm filled with doubt. You know, mm. I, I'm miserable. I um, am dealing with anger or I am having an awakening or I am recognizing that I'm grieving or I'm not happy in my marriage or I feel like I'm an addict or I feel, you know, whatever it is that you're learning to love that thing by naming it. And then you can walk into the wilderness hand in hand with that thing because now you've named it. So you love it and you're going to make your peace with it mm-hmm. and let it shape you, let it bring the, the lessons that it needs to bring to you, yeah. um, you know, however that would be. And then you can journey into that space from that place of love as opposed to, you know, running in fear yeah. <laughs> from, from the very thing that's going to shape you and change you and, and be part of your identity. Because mm-hmm. it's there. And I think like yeah. at least like in some of the, the traditions like I – grew up and it was just like doubt and fear like and worry or anxiety or even things like admitting like i'm miserable or i'm depressed or i'm an addict it's like you can't say that about yourself that's not your identity i'm just like (laughs) you're the blessed of god you're (laughs) i'm just like i get it but and or like and also it's just like it's like me just like you know i'm a christian i have the joy of the lord and i also struggle with depression yes like something is simple you can hold both of those things together. I think mm-hmm. that that lack of complexity um, doesn't do anybody any any real favors. I mean, you know, one of the things that that, that to me shows, well, here's the thing. In your spiritual formation, you are always going to be, you know, progressing. And there's a season and a time of your life when you are going to be very literal. You know, when you are going to need things to be black and white and right and wrong. And if this, then not that. And anything that's different or nuanced is, can be perceived as threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I pray this way, then I get this response. If I believe this, if I say that, then this will happen. If I don't say that I'm this, then it's not going to exist, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a very childlike thing. My children are a lot like that at their stage of their development. They have to be. That's just part of how we develop and how we change. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, most of our churches are structured so that they function best if we stay in that stage mm-hmm. of being being like that. But as you are progressing and as you kind of hit that, you know, like Richard Rohr's second, you know, uh, second stage of life or 
um, that you have there, the complexity is, is the very thing that enriches it. That's what, mm. that's what brings you into that adulthood, right? That's what brings you into, into seeing you have to push through the angst and the struggle and the pain. But on the other side of that, I think there's a real universality of, of love and connection and wholeness where you can take all of those things and hold them with a lot of intention and love and kindness um, and gentleness even towards yourself and towards those who are still black and white or literal or whatever else. Yeah. And and they have patience for that. I look at myself, it took me 12 years just to come to grips with like what I needed to name. And it's, it's like, it's partly like, I want to have grace for this person because I want them to progress there. But then at the same time, just like you're a, you're holding yourself back and B Mm -hmm. sometimes depending on like who you are. Like I look at church leaders who are on the conservative side for, you know, women's, women's inclusion and affirmation within the church or like, you know, uh, you know, sexuality and gender or, and gender identity kind of stuff. And it's almost like your lack of forward motion is stifling people around mm-hmm. you. And that's where like, I get really frustrated, but totally. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, there's a lot of frustration there. I think because you know that people's lives hang in the balance, Yeah, you know, it's not, it's not just theory. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just it's not just, oh, you know, I I believe in a six day creation and I do not, mm-hmm. you know, sort of yeah. like these these have real implications in people's lives and how they function and how they can be part of a community, how they feel seen by God, mm-hmm. um, you know, which really, really does impact the rest of your life. And so, of course, you feel frustrated and angry. There's things that are worth being angry about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that learning how to honor their journey and also you know something else too that i've i've seen is that there's a lot more hope than i think i would have realized even five or six years ago um you know and a lot of those things there is always still movement there's always things happening and so i feel like sometimes it's almost an act of faith Mm. you know to engage in, in in the conversations and i mean and to be honest even some humility because i look back on things i believed even two years ago and i'm Mm. like Fix it, Jesus. Fix like, it. <laughs> Go back. Even say to what just has happened, you know, and, and so I, you know, even I look back, I, I'm, I'm positive. I will look back 10 years from now on things that I am saying and teaching um, with such, uh, you know, uh, pure hearted intention and, and really deep, you know, conviction. And I will be like, fix it, Jesus, you know, <laughs> 10 years from now. like, you know, it, this is just part of it. I think that, you know, the very active, uh, if you're not changing and transforming in your life, you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's the only part where I tend to get a little bit, you know, sadder or frustrated or even grieving for people. It's like when you're never, when you're not changing, when your theology or your view of God or your, you <laughs> when, if you are changing in response to the unchanging Christ, then who, you know, you're, you've stagnated. And mm-hmm. that's, that's never the point of, of your walk with God. You're supposed to be walking. You're supposed to be away, right? And so. Also, like, if we're, I was talking with a friend last night, even, just about how, like, he's about to go on this, like, go, like, on a semester abroad, and he's just now discovering, like, what he wants to do with his life. And he's, like, in this like, weird state. And I was just like, hey, like, just so you know, like, you're not the first person, like, like in the Christ story, Jesus <laughs> literally goes into a desert, you know, it says mm-hmm. the spirit like led him into the desert to, or a wilderness to figure it out. And I think like, and it, it comes, you know, comes from naming it and then embracing that kind of journey of, I don't know what the hell I'm doing sometimes. 
mm-hmm. before we get to this other side of just like, oh, it's okay not to know what I'm doing. Yeah. And okay not to have all of the answers bullet by bullet, point by point. Totally. And if and you learn to be dissatisfied with bullet point answers. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? <laughs> it's almost that sense. I mean, I felt like in a lot of ways I arrived on the other side of, I, I really do believe that on the other side of our wilderness, there's always deliverance, right? That there's mm-hmm. this, this sense of like God meeting with us and delivering us in, into this new new place where we are. But there's other stuff on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And you grow to really enjoy it. I mean, there's a huge part of me that um, that loves the uncertainty now and the freedom of that and the renewal of that, of feeling this sense of like, anytime you start to feel like that angst or that struggle or that pain or that resistance, it's like, oh, we're, we're going to be pushing into something that's pretty, pretty incredible. And I believe God will meet with us here. I think those places are altars, mm. uh, you know, as we, as we kind of walk through and we begin to kind of look back and we're like, okay, here's a place where I met with God. Here's a place. And so you begin to really enjoy that, almost that pioneering uh, sense Right. And so, yeah, that's good. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Oh, God. It's not like know, marriage and children. <laughs> I was going to say, is that the, you know, there's, there's layers on layers and layers on that. Um, honestly, um, there's so many things I feel like that I've done that have scared me, but I think one of the biggest ones that has happened recently has been preaching. Hmm. That's a, a big one for me. It's it's I have never seen myself as a as someone who would ever be a public speaker or be someone who had any kind of a public figure or be up on a stage. I remember even four years ago having to sh- I went on a blogger. You remember when people used to do like those blogger awareness trips and they would go like oh yeah like that like someone would like buy you to like a, a thing yeah. that they were doing. Exactly. And then the idea was that you were going to, you know, write about your experiences and then people would either sponsor children or give money or, you know, mm-hmm. do things like that. So I was doing one of those trips in, in Haiti and I remember they wanted us to shoot a video and I like lost my shit, like could not stop crying. I was shaking. I was nervous. I was just like, cannot deal with the idea of like using my actual voice to mm-hmm. speak to people and having any sense of like being in that space and just wow. being really upset by it. Um, and I remember one of the women who was on that trip just said, you know what, you, God's going to meet with you here because this is such a place of like a visceral almost reaction to like your own voice and to your own authority and to your own, um, you know, calling and vocation. And so watch out. basically. (laughs) (laughs) Holy ghost about to come up and get you, girl. You know, (laughs) but it's been funny because now it was a very gentle and slow and almost imperceptible shifts along the way. But, um, but that was one of the scariest things for me has been learning to embrace that, um, learning to own that, learning to walk in that. Um, there's still not a single time before I'm doing a podcast like this Mm -hmm. or preaching even at my church. I'm on the teaching team at my church and I travel and speak now. There's not a single time that I'm not pretty much ready to throw up before I get up on a stage or I'm not just like so incredibly dependent on the Holy spirit, just feeling like I am the last person in the world who should be doing any of this, but you show up anyway. Right. And I find that God often, you know, meets with me just as much as anyone else. And I'm glad everybody else is there, but that's, we're still, I'm still on my own, own thing too. So it's intimidating. I, I have felt that way before. I always like, before I do like a keynote or, something i always get like it's like okay don't throw up be yourself yep. <laughs> exactly i was I think like that's always kind of hard is like to not feel like there's these people who do it that are so amazing at it 
And so you're like, oh, well, I need to be like them. I need to sound like them. I need to teach like them. I need Mm -hmm. to speak like them. And instead it's like, well, really you're here because you're you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not here to be so-and-so or this person or whomever else or Mm -hmm. to, you know, teach like them or preach like them or do whatever. And it's still taking me a while, I think, to find my voice in that space. I think I'm getting closer. But uh, but I feel like I'm still very much in the in the early stages of figuring all of that Same. out in the meantime. Yeah, I remember my like my first speaking gig ever. Like I was in the middle of it, and suddenly I just started channeling Rachel Held Evans, and I call, started calling out. <laughs> I, That's a good one to channel. I literally, I literally pointed at someone and said, "Woman of Valor." <laughs> <laughs> and it was it's to a bunch of sorority women and, and fraternity men, so that's where I was going. I love it. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you can't be you, then be Rachel. That's yeah. my. That's, <laughs> that's also on a shirt you can get at sarahbessie dot com. There you go. There you go. If you can't be yourself. Be Rachel Held Evans. <laughs> yeah. Do you? You know, we should like talk to her about this. I think this could like really, this could sell. I think like. Uh, if I, you know, if you can't market it, is it really Jesus? No. <laughs> If the Lord's favor is not on it, then obviously it ain't going to sell. But let me tell you what, I just have a, a sense about it. That is beautiful. I just, you know, I bow down. I just, I just bless that. Um, uh, favorite place you've ever traveled? You know, honestly, um, I'd have to say the place where we live right now, mm. because I grew up in the in the prairies, just uh, north of North Dakota, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. It's the its own. Bugs are huge. Bugs are just God. enormous. The mosquitoes. I've, I've never, I've never seen people to go out. <laughs> I've never seen mosquitoes like that huge. Like my family, we we traveled to Alaska, like by via RV, mm-hmm. like on the Alaskan Highway, and we came up through North Dakota, and. Those, like, I just couldn't handle them. Just, like, the mosquitoes are the size yes. of my eye. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty pretty epic. And so, I mean, it's got a lot of things that are really mm. beautiful and lovely about it. But now we live just outside of Vancouver, mm-hmm. uh, British Columbia. And so you've got, I mean, I'm within 30 minutes of the ocean, and I live right up against the mountains. And it's just you're always never more than 15 minutes from, you know, at least being able to find some wilderness somewhere. Mm. Um, and I really love it. I mean, there's places I've traveled to that I've really enjoyed and loved, but in terms of my favorite place to do thing Mm. to do is just to get in the car and go drive out into the mountains with my family and just be right where we are. Right. There's beautiful rivers and waterfalls and rocks. And I know it's just, there's the pine trees. There's just nothing like it for me. On my way. Okay, cool. I'll, thank you for the invitation. I will come and visit. You are more than welcome. Although, you know what? I hear a lot of you will be visiting us after the next presidential election. <laughs> You'll see for yourself. It'll be great. It's, it's true. It's true. I'm like, enjoy it. It's- I'm sitting on this point where, like, I'm trying real hard to, like, stay, like, optimistic. I'm just like, God, if you're, if you really, like, I don't want to say, if you really care about America, God. <laughs> But it's almost just like, God, please, like, there's enough of us here. Like, if there's one righteous person within the city, will you not have mercy? And if that's the case, like, you know, just like, I'm just going to, like, hightail it up there, not look back, because I'm not trying to turn into a salt pillar. There you go. There you go. Don't even turn around. Don't Don't even turn around. some serious old testament chops may i say that you remember you can just like roll those references right (laughs) off without even thinking (laughs) that is um thank you i received that because like i when i was 16 and like first realized that i liked dudes and it like was like shocking to me because growing up in an evangelical household that's no 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 no. 
No. So um, I told my pastor and or like my youth pastor, and he said, "Well, maybe it's not who you are, but something you struggle with." And so that's how I thought about it. And then in my mind, I was like, "Okay, well, if I fill up myself with more knowledge of God, it'll displace all the other things." Not realizing that the human, like the human heart, is exponentially expandable. And it keeps filling up with like all the the more knowledge you have, the more you study, the more you enrich yourself, just the wider your game. Oh yeah. But that was, that was in my mind. It's just like, Oh yeah, of course. And there, and for a lot of people that's still, you know, if I have depression, I'll just read lots of Bible verses about joy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It'll it'll take care of, you know, it'll just replace it. It's a zero sum game. And so, it's no, a, but it stood you well, though. You still know your Old Testament references, so mm-hmm. you, you're holding those in your heart still. What are you reading? Anything cool right now? Um, you know, I'm reading, actually, it's quite funny. My, uh, well, I've always got, usually, I'm one of those people who's usually got like six or seven books on the go oh, same. at a time. Yeah, I have four so in I, my bag I, right now. Okay. Yeah, I just never seem to be able, based on like my mood or where my brain is at, I'd like to pull them out and read them. So I'm reading um, a Eugene Peterson book called The Practice of Resurrection right now. Mm. That is amazing. It's so, so good. Eugene Peterson's one of those writers where, you know, he's kind of like your foundational guy, and then you move on mm-hmm. to reading all this other, like, deeper theology stuff. And then you come back and read Eugene Peterson, and you're like, what else is there to say? Not like, much. He's, just, he's just so accessible, especially for people like me that aren't, you know, seminary trained and aren't academics. Oh, yeah. Um, love, 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 love his stuff. So I'm reading that one. I've also got um, Ian Morgan Crone's new book on the Enneagram. <gasps> yes. Uh, so I'm excited about that one. Have you dug uh, into it at all? Do you know what your number you know, is? Oh, yeah, I'm a nine. Mm, that, does, that makes sense. Conflict avoider, like it's my job, Kevin. Well, <laughs> I am I am a solid seven. And so like I, I, I'm the need to avoid pain at all costs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Isn't it funny how I remember, I think my friend Lee Kramer, who does Enneagram coaching, she told me you knew you'd found your number when you hated it. Yeah, it's like when you absolutely sin patterns, and you're like, I'd like to be anything other than this. Mm -hmm. That's probably your number. And I remember reading the one on nine and being like, I hate this. This is like everything I don't want to be, and I wish I wasn't. (laughs) But you get your mail read, and now it's like this form of spiritual direction to give you a path for growth, which is great. Yeah, but it's gonna be pretty. I read uh, the I read the Richard Rohr one on it, (laughs) and it just like when I was reading through it, it's just like. You know, it says, like, the sevens are the eternal optimists. I'm like, yes, I am. Just, like, they want to print every day. Like, if they could spend every day at Disney World, they probably would. But the problem is with that is that behind all of the glitz and glamour and joy, just, like, they are, like, they're ignoring Mm. all these other, like, okay. Oh, Oh, Richard, (laughs) you got me, boo. This isn't as much fun as I thought it would be. I'm going to put this book down. And that was my conversation with Sarah Bessie. You can find her over at sarahbessie.com. That's uh, Sarah with an H, B-E-S-S-E-Y.com, as well as on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Sarah Bessie.
All right, before I go, I just want to let you know that A Tiny Revolution is a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network. We're a group of creatives who are sounding off on things that matter, everything from a movie podcast that we're coming up pretty soon with, which I'm super excited about. Um, my internet cousin, Anthony Garcia, is coming out with a trust fall, I believe, sometime this month. And then there's Too Real with Cope, where he talks to creatives about their own processes while still dealing with, you know, this little thing called life. I love all of the creative work that comes out of this, and uh, it gives me a real outlet for myself. So if you're interested in becoming a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network, say you're creative out there who's doing your own thing, uh, go to bedlampodcasts.com and learn more. Additionally, if you're ever looking to do some cheap advertising, um, the Bedlam Podcast Network is a really easy way to connect listeners with the products and services that actually are going to do them some good we've got really really uh affordable rates so if you're a blogger uh, an author who's looking to launch his first book um anything like that check us out at bedlampodcast.com and let's talk some shop for you Additional support is provided by my supporters over on Patreon. Patreon is a great way for you to support the creatives in your life that are producing the content you love. So if you think A Tiny Revolution is doing some good for you, if my blog is doing some good for you, uh, maybe throw a couple dollars my way. Um, Even if you're strapped for cash, even one, two, five dollars a month really helps. And on top of that, you get set up with some really sweet perks, including a monthly newsletter, which I'm sorry that I'm so behind, but that's going to be sent out this week as well as some other things like t-shirts, um, some, some Google Hangouts, uh, a couple other things too. So if you love what's going on with A Tiny Revolution, uh, go over to patreon.com slash thekevingarcia and learn how to become a supporter. I think that's everything from me. Next week, I'm coming at you with a little uh, more from the mailbag. I've got some really good questions that have been sitting in there and I've been mulling over how to answer them well. But uh, I'm so excited that you joined me this week. I hope that you know that you're loved, and I hope you loved this podcast. Do me a favor, go over to the iTunes store and leave it a review. Give it five stars or four stars, whatever you think is uh, appropriate. That way we can connect more people, more listeners, with the things that we're doing here and invite them in. Um, Oh, last thing. If you feel like you want to create an event in your community, at your church, at your university... Why not go ahead and give me a shout and let's talk about creating an event where I come and speak at your university or your school or whatever. If it's at a cafe, I'll come hang out with you. I'd love to. Um, But I talk about everything from intersections of faith and sexuality to what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century to uh, gender and identity to creativity. You know, pretty much anything that I've ever talked about before, I'm sure I can create a presentation that's going to fit your community and what you guys need. So yeah, um, hit me up at thekevingarcia.com slash speaking. Follow me on the social medias. Say hey. And uh, that's it. So this has been A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I will see you cats next week. Mwah! There you go. There you go. You can't be yourself, be Rachel Held Evans.